On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Then he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called to the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs, in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship now. Let's pray together. You who turned the water into wine, you who are the living word, visit us now and As we think on this text, may something new be revealed to us that calls to us, that comforts us, and that convicts us to be more fully your people. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I'm not a wine drinker. But this water-to-wine miracle has become one of my absolute favorites. It happens at a wedding. Unnamed couple. But a wedding where abundance and joy, covenant and community and love all take place. It's solemn. It's joyful. It's, it's all right there. I love how John constructs the dialogue on, on this, uh, this uh, scene. He tells us that Jesus and the disciples are there, and then in the very next sentence says, when the wine gave out, I'm just saying, you can connect the dots. I love the dialogue. Mary's portrayed almost like a stereotypic bossy Jewish mother coming to Jesus and saying, they're out of wine. Jesus saying to her, what's that to us? My hour's not come, mother. In other words, don't out me here in front of everyone unless it's my time. Mary, of course, ignores him and says to the people, do whatever he tells you to do. I mean, I know he's Jesus, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, and he's 30 years old by this time, but I just got to imagine him doing a little bit of an eye roll at that moment. I love how the ordinary washing pots are used as the container for the miracle. Not some sacred vessel, just the ordinary washing pots. I love that. 
And I love the miracle itself. Water becoming, growing, merging with all the other elements of nature to become what it could be, wine. Whoa. Years ago, I was told that wine was the sign of joy and abundance. That sounded good to me, so I adopted that notion, but I never really understood it, I think, until this week as I sat with this text with these Six 20 to 30 gallon open vessels of wine just wafting into my face. It's like I awakened to this, this miracle and what it could say to us. For you see, I was raised with a rather traditional understanding of this miracle. An understanding that's based on a theology of scarcity. Scarcity. That there's really not enough. And that life and religion itself is about the competition for scarce resources. So the water to wine story was taught to me as one evidence of Jesus' superpowers. As if he were a superhero. It was proof that he was God. And so the disciples who followed him in chapter 1 were proven to have actually made a very wise choice. Because it's important in a world of scarcity to pick the right deity who will provide for you, protect you, and occasionally cut you in on a little bit of the wine. Scarcity, though, sees Jesus and sees this faith that we have embraced as a winner in the competition of the religions of the world. The water into wine is proof that our God is better than any other God. But this week I've been thinking about another way to look at life and look at faith and look at this particular reading. Not a theology of scarcity, but a theology of abundance. Abundance, that there's enough here for everyone. I'm not talking about unfettered capitalism or consumerism or growth, but I'm talking about 120 to 180 gallons of wine is enough for everyone that we've forgotten this truth. And the miracle is this invitation to either remember or discover for the first time that it's possible for us to be restored to what God dreams for us, what God created for us in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, where there was enough for everyone. This way of looking at faith This way of looking at the story is not about competition. It's not about saying my God is better than your God. But rather abundance is about seeing Jesus and seeing the Christian faith in its call to restore and reunite. Or in the words of Richard Rohr on the cover, to re-ligament the literal meaning of the word religion. To re-ligament the world so that we're united, we're harmonious, and we find the truth that there is enough. For everyone. So scarcity or abundance. Two profoundly different ways of viewing life, of viewing faith, of viewing every decision that you and I are called upon to make. The reality is that many of us were raised with the theology of scarcity. 
Just as in the Kentucky Derby, you have to pick the right horse, so in religion, you have to pick the right Savior. Just as in the Powerball, you have to pick the right combination of numbers, so in religion, you have to put together the right combination of words and say it just so. For life is about scarcity, and God is about scarcity. And the water into wine in this mentality says it's a one-time deal. It's a one-off. So don't get any crazy ideas about this abundance thing. In fact, this abundance thing, says scarcity, is way too generous. It's, no, it's not clear. We don't have winners. We don't have losers. There's, there's no way to, to judge other people. And really, what's the fun of religion if you can't win and judge other people? Here's the problem. It's not only about religion. It's about life. And when you think about it, most of our politics, most of our foreign policy, most of our domestic policy, most of the class warfare that we see going on is based on the ideology of scarcity. There's not enough. I have to keep what's mine and actually get as much as I possibly can. $100 million? Not enough. I've got to have $200 million. Oh, that's not enough. I've got to have more and more and more. Abundance, on the other hand, says we have what we need here. Now. Not just 2,000 years ago when Jesus turned those 150 gallons of water into wine. And not just someday in the distant future when we're all gathered together on the great throne and we have the big banquet. But right here and now, there's enough land. There's enough land for everyone to live. We don't have to fight over land. There's enough land. There's enough food in the world. We don't have to fight over food. There's enough water. There's enough air. There's enough oil and gas. There's enough resources for shelter. But in addition to all those material things, there's also enough love in the world. There's enough love in the world. We don't have to hoard it. We don't have to dole it out with a with an eyedropper. There's enough love in the world. And there's enough credit to go all the way around. The passage that Bill read for us from 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the variety of gifts, that they're all equally important. They're all part of what the Spirit of God gives. So we can give credit to a lot of people, everyone. There's enough worth for every person to have a sense of dignity and worth, just like we tried to instill in Wallace and Finley this morning. There's enough for everyone. Not just babies, but all people. Not just white people, but all people. Not just East End people, but all people. It's the kingdom of God or the dream of God. The water to wine story, this great miracle, is a sign that says to us, we don't have to worry about not having enough unless we claw and fight. In fact, just the opposite. Because there's abundance in the world, we can be generous. We can be generous because there's enough. And when we live out of that abundance, when we, we will experience the reality of abundance. Because you've had the experience, I don't have to tell you, of giving and receiving. Of, of, of going on a mission trip and, and saying, and when you come back saying... I thought I was going to help those people, but I got more than I ever gave. There's abundance in the world. And when you feel it, when you see it, 
That's when you're rich. That's when you're full. That's when you're secure. I've never met a person in the world who regretted being generous. I've never had a person say, oh, I wish I'd never given that away. What I hear is, I received and then I gave. What I do hear, though, and what I do run into often is people who cannot be generous. They cannot be generous with their time, with their words, with their money, with their religion, with their love. It's as if they're blocked. They can't do it. And it's because they're living out of a theology of scarcity that there's not enough for everyone. So they say, I do have to feel anxious because there's not enough for me unless I fight and claw. So instead of generosity, I have to be miserly because abundance is a myth. And it's a dog-eat-dog world. You would think that the Bible was a variation on the Hunger Games. You would think that the Bible said, when you hear the gun, the first one who gets the best piece of land wins. And the persons who are strongest and most able and most willing to be violent, they're the ones who will keep their stuff away from the losers. So now, good luck and may the odds be in your favor. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1 with the story of a God who creates this world that is abundant, that there's more than we can ever want. The book of Genesis ends with the story of Joseph saying, you intended this for bad, but God intended it for good. There's more than enough for all of us. It goes on through the Psalms, declaring the glory of God, how the heavens are filled with the glory of God, and the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof, the abundance thereof. The prophet Isaiah telling us again and again about this good God who has good gifts for all people. All the way through the story of Jesus, this miracle at the wedding in Cana of Galilee, saying that the water can become wine, that there's plenty for all, all the way to the very end, where in Revelation we have this image, this dream of God, that there, we're all gathered together, and that in God's good graciousness, we all come together at the table of love. Therefore, be generous. We're the people of God. The mission of Jesus is to form a people who will unleash the abundance, restore the land, so that those who have too little and those who have too much can thrive together in God's dream by liberating us from this fear of scarcity. I anticipate that I'm making some nervous in the room. Let me just say, I'm not calling for 100% equity. Don't go all older brother and the prodigal son on me here and get nervous that we're killing your fatted calf and there's not enough left for you. There is enough for all. I'm not talking about 100% equity, but I'm talking about God's desire for every person and every creature and even nature itself to live and thrive. And I think the Bible suggests at the very minimum some kind of range. 
Let no one be so poor and low as Lazarus at the gate of the rich man that they die. And let no one be so rich as the rich young ruler as to lose their soul. Somewhere in there, religion is about religamenting, connecting, so that when others don't have enough, we're the people of God. We're called upon to fix it, to speak on behalf of justice. Martin Luther King said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so we speak up, not just for our own benefit, but but for the benefit of sisters and brothers. It's who we are. It's what we do. So that when a person is treated in any way as inhumane, we're the people of God. We intervene. We have compassion. Let me just say that social justice and compassion are not liberal ideas. These are gospel ideas. Abundance is about the alternative vision that Jesus came into the world to invite us into so that the world could be restored. There was a letter to the ed- or an op- op- op-ed, I guess, this week in the Courier-Journal that suggested that social justice and compassion were liberal ideas. And I realized, I've been hearing about this my whole life. Growing up in a Baptist church, do you not remember hearing about the abundant life? Abundance. Now, in the church I grew up in, abundance did get kind of conflated with everlasting life or eternal life, which sounded like a never-ending church service, which sounded about as boring as anything I can imagine. (laughs) But abundant life, awakening to the realization that there are moments in this life, in your life, in my life, when there's sharing and harmony, and it is as God dreams it, and you see it, and you feel it. And it's real. It may be seasonal. It may be momentary because that's the way abundance is. Abundance is never meant to be ongoing. The feeding of the 5,000 wasn't intended to last forever. The water turned into wine wasn't intended to last forever. But you savor the moment. I did some serious savoring yesterday as many of you did, as we gathered at St. Stephen Baptist Church in West Louisville for a program honoring Dr. Martin Luther King by a group of pastors that I'm part of called Empower West. It was a gathering of abundance. As members of our choir and other choirs joined with the St. Stephen Choir, when we made joyful, soulful music together, When Fred Bogart, our Friday church minister, who has throughout his life gone largely unnoticed, had the opportunity to lead that choir in a a song that surprisingly St. Stephen's didn't know till Fred brought it to them. We shall not be moved hand in hand together. We shall not be moved like a tree planted by the water, black and white together. We shall not be moved. It was abundance. When Dewan Nathaniel, a member of this congregation, African-American man, who 10 years ago came into this place with Friday Church as a drug dealer, 
and had his life radically changed by God, stood up before this, pe- this group of people and recited Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. I just thought, this is abundance. And when Dewan brought that speech to life again, and we heard those words, this speech that is beyond scarcity, the speech that is all about abundance, it became crystal clear that sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners could sit down at the table of brotherhood, as Dr. King said. I felt like I had entered into the promised land, the dream of God. And as I drank it in, I realized religion can restore the land because we know about abundance. We know about the water turned into wine. If you've been at Highland, you know I refer to the kingdom of God as the dream of God. But really, it's even more than that. It's the creation of God. The kingdom is what God created In the book of Genesis, it is the Garden of Eden that we left, that we are being invited home to. Come home. We sang it growing up. You who are weary, come home. Come home to this land of abundance. And I realized that the prodigal son story that that we looked at earlier uh, last year, uh, it's not just about you or you or you or... It's about all of us. It's about the whole world that God wants us to come home. To restore the world. To be the place that God created the world to be. As Dr. King said, to speed up that day when all of God's children... Black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics can join hands and sing in the words of that mighty Negro spiritual, say it with me, free at last, free at last. Great God Almighty, we are free at last. Let's pray together. Abundant God, fill us with your love. Fill us with your peace that we might become the men and women, the boys and girls that the city of Louisville, the state of Kentucky, this nation, and this world needs. May we humbly take our place among those who have drunk from those jars of your wine And leave intoxicated with your love to your glory now and always, we pray. Amen.